Hey peeps, it's me, Christine, and I want to share with you a game-changing product that has improved my sleep and daily health. So let's dive in. You all know through my journey, I have struggled with sleep, being afraid of it, not getting quality sleep, and not being able to regulate my temperature throughout the night. I definitely learned the hard way, but sleep matters big time. It's when your muscles repair, your brain detoxes, and your body can work on cellular renewal. We just can't afford to miss out on an adequate amount of high-quality sleep, which is kind of hard when you have a rare disease. There's not much that I control in this real life, but one of the easiest and most effective ways to get better sleep every single night is through temperature regulation. Studies actually prove cooler temperatures lead to a deeper, more restful sleep, and that insomniacs actually lack this natural drop in core body temperature, which is what keeps them up at night. Personally, I run hot. This means that even if my room is super cold, I wake up in a pool of sweat, uncomfortable, changing my clothes several times throughout the night. It's frustrating for obvious reasons, and this is why I was so relieved to discover this transformative products from Chili. The Cube from Chili Sleep is a system that fits right over the top of your mattress and uses water to control the temperature of your bed, which helps lower your internal temperature and triggers deeper, relaxing sleep. Since water has 30 times more thermal conductivity than air, these systems are a lot more effective than just cranking up the AC. I mean, I keep my house at 65, so it has to be true. Ever since I started using the Cube system, I've noticed I fall asleep a lot faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling fully rested. (laughs) Now, my wife is not a polar bear like me and likes to sleep a little bit warmer, so I love that we can each have our own temperatures on either side of the bed. Chili products can range between 55 and 115 degrees. Right now, Chili is offering my audience a really great deal. When you go to chilisleep.com backslash findyourrare20, you get 20% off the Cube All Sleep Systems with Find Your Rare 20. Sleep is something we could all use more of, and we can all take small steps towards getting better sleep to improve our life in big ways. I hope you'll check out the Chili Sleep System and see why I love their product so much. Welcome to the Because We're Strong podcast, where we talk all things rare disease and chronic illness and how to navigate a rare life. Together, we're sitting down every week to get your stories and insight on how you navigate this rare life. You can expect everything real and raw in the hopes that your story along with ours helps another person who is dealing with a similar rare struggle. So grab your favorite drink, a comfy blanket and buckle in because rare disease isn't for the faint of heart. Hey peeps, we're back this week and we're chatting with Mariah. Mariah is the mother of Emma and Abby, two adorable little girls that are the only two known people in the world with their rare disease. The Gillespie sisters share a mutation on one of their genes that causes seizures and severe developmental delays. Mariah started the nonprofit Lightning and Love Foundation to raise awareness and advance scientific research, as well as find a cure for diseases caused from the mutation THAP12 gene. I'm your host, Teresa. And I'm Christine. So let's let's dive dive in. in. Welcome, Mariah. Hi, so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on and being willing to share your story with us today. Absolutely. 
So while reading about your nonprofit and your daughter's story, it reminded me a lot of Christine's story with her diagnosis. She is actually one of 29 people in the world with her disease. Uh, it's a little bit more than one in, you know, two, like, daughters, <laughs> but it did cause me to realize, wow, there, there are people dealing with similar situations. Um, I have to interject for one second when, and I just wasn't even thinking because when I read two, I was like, oh, I wonder who the like the other people are. And as Teresa did the intro, I was like, oh my God, the sisters are the two. So it was like a little bit of a brain fart moment. However, it was also one of those like, wow, like these are the only two. That's a lot. All of a sudden 29 feels like a big number. (laughs) From, From what I've read, your girls have a gene mutation, but because it's so rare, they have no official name for it. Could you explain a little bit about their gene mutation and how you came about getting their diagnosis? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's exactly like you guys said. Um, when we started our journey, we knew we were rare because, um, you know, my girl's primary diagnosis is an epilepsy disorder called infantile spasms, and that in itself is rare. Um, but when we dug in a little deeper and started going down the genetic path, and we found nothing wrong with the girls, we were you know, kind of surprised that we could fall into a category that was so rare. We ended up finding this diagnosis through whole genome sequencing. Uh, Two different individual labs did the sequencing and analyzed it um, themselves. And they both landed on a particular gene that seemed like a very likely candidate. Both the girls uh, share mutations on both copies of their THAP12 gene And my husband, Mark, and myself each have one copy that has a mutation that we unfortunately passed down to both girls. And when they saw this situation and they noticed that throughout history, uh, there's not very much evidence that um, this gene uh, has mutations in in the population, it, it was a very likely candidate gene for being something that actually caused disease. So uh, they told us, you know, hey, we have this gene, looks like that 12 might be causing your disease, but these are the only two cases we can find in the world. And so we can't really tell you for sure because there's no other humans to compare you with. And you know, they kind of say that and your heart stops because there's nothing you can do. And it was really heartbreaking to, uh, you know, realize that we were part of not only a rare disease, because obviously there's a lot of those out there and it's amazing to land yourself in that situation, but we were kind of the rare of the rare and that, you know, Emma and Abby are the ones basically discovering a brand new genetic disease. Um, so we, that's kind of where we, where we landed with getting this diagnosis and then trying to decide where do we go from here with, with being one of, uh, two people in the whole world. Wow. That is, I I can't even imagine. So did they tell you like, what are the chances that your husband and you would have this same mutation on your guys seem like, is that rare in and of itself? That seems crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of blown away. I don't think there's, you know, accurate statistics because that 12 gene is not studied in the population at all. But I mean, think about it this way, right? In order to pass on a recessive gene, it's a one in four chance that you'd pass it on to one kiddo. To pass it on to 
two kiddos is a one in 16 chance. And this is on top of the fact that Mark and I randomly have mutations on this gene that's never even been discovered. And we happen to meet each other and fall in love and decide to have children. Um, you know, of all the people in the world. What are the chances? Right? Yeah. So, I mean, wow. <laughs> I don't know what that is, you know, statistically, but in my mind, it, blow, it blows my mind. <laughs> um, you know, it's the, the universe is really weird, um, but there's a reason I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, that there's a reason for it and a bigger purpose. I know for me, one of the hardest parts was not having a name, which seems so silly, but it felt like I had nowhere. I didn't belong anywhere. Yeah. Like, what was that like for you and your family? Because yes, you know, you know this gene, but you don't have what this gene does. Exactly. And so therefore it's an unknown diagnosis, which is to me, one of the worst things they wrote on my paper. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about what that was like, like for you and your family? Yeah, that was really hard when we had Emma, my oldest, and they did, you know, the extensive genetic testing and came back inconclusive. They basically said, we have no clue. That was really hard because we wanted to grow our family. And, you know, they sat us down and gave us the statistics of, of, of this happening again. They were, you know, pretty convinced that this was just something randomly that happened in Emma. And so they gave us a very low percentage chance of it happening again. And we decided that that was a comfortable risk. And we went on and uh, decided to grow our family. And that's when Abby came along. And the fact that she has uh, the same mutation was was just crazy. It it convinced us that yes, this was genetic. Yes, this is something that they've inherited from us as parents, but they still couldn't really tell us what it was. You know, they it took a lot more genetic testing and a lot of scientists sitting down and trying to analyze that that genetic output to even give us a candidate gene and. You're right. That's a horrible place to be in to say, you know, we've got something going on, but I have no clue what it is. Not only do you feel a bit isolated, you don't really have anybody to completely relate to, but you can't try to progress science. You can't try to find a treatment. There's really not a lot of hope there. You just kind of live in your situation and that's hard. So definitely getting the name of a gene, even if it's not the name of a disease, at least it's a start in you know, we're still searching for other people out there that might be affected by this and don't even know it. And maybe someday we'll get to build a little bit of a community and not feel so isolated in our unique genetic disease. Wow. I mean, I I can only say like, that's why I created Rare was because I felt like I didn't have a space. Like, where do you go when you're not lupus? You're not this. You're not, you're not anything. You don't fit into a Facebook yeah. group. It, it feels weird because you know, you have this, you know, your, your family is, uh, you know, one in 300, you know, million people, I mean, 300 million people have a rare disease, um, in the world and yet it could be so isolating. Um, what does a typical day look like for your family? What extra like care do you need, uh, for the girls and how has that progressed? So they require quite a bit of extra care. Their disease is pretty severe. So on a daily basis, um, they they need help with everything. Um, Emma starts her day with an hour-long breathing treatment because 
the fact that she isn't strong enough in her core to take big, deep breaths, um, and the fact that she can't swallow makes breathing kind of a challenge for her and managing secretions. So she has secretions that block her airway. So we start with a shaky vest that tries to loosen up all the goo. We do a nebulizer treatments. We do a lot of suctioning to get that goo out for her. Um, and then at nighttime, she has to sleep on a CPAP. So it's um, positive pressure blowing air into her lungs to kind of help puff them up out a little bit and make sure she's getting full deep breaths. So her day already starts with quite a bit of work. Both girls are on multiple medications. Neither girl can hold their head up or sit. So we are required to help them with all of those things. Um, Abby does eat by mouth, which is great because Emma is completely G-tube dependent. But that also, again, she requires us to feed her. So we're working on that throughout the day. So there's a lot of extra interventions. We're very busy. Luckily, we have a great support system and we have some in-home nursing to help out with both girls. That's that's good. Um, how have you gone about the in-home nursing um, in terms of everything going on with COVID? Luckily, our nurse is an amazing person and she self-isolated um, throughout all of this so that she can come and work safely um, around the girls. It's been really amazing. That's good. Could you share for those listening what some of the most frustrating aspects are of your daughter's diagnosis? Oh my gosh. I think it's just frustrating um, in general. One, like we were talking about just with the whole genetic diagnosis. Um, I mean, you were talking about why you created this because you felt isolated. And, you know, I've created a Facebook group for that 12. I'm the only person in it, you know, desperately searching for more people. And we started, um, you know, kind of being members of the epilepsy community, But going to epilepsy support group meetings, you know, that was a very broad spectrum. And there were kiddos going to college that had seizures maybe once a month. And that was really hard because it did not reflect our experience at all. And then we kind of narrowed it down and we were part of the, you know, infantile spasms and the Lennox Gasto communities that were a little bit more similar to the journey that we've felt. And so that helped be a little less isolating. But I think a big frustrating part is, is, being the only ones that has been really hard. Um, We're desperately searching for some more cases so that we can hopefully build a community that really understands our very unique journey. But, you know, I think just being a special needs parent in general, it's something that you have to grow into and you adapt with over time. But um, like I can have, I can tell an example. I went for a walk a couple weeks ago with my husband and it takes us a good 20, 30 minutes just to load up the girls. We have to pack up an oxygen machine and a suction machine and hook Emma up to the pulse ox so that we can monitor her oxygen levels. But the pulse ox doesn't work in the sunlight. So then we have to wrap her foot up really well so that it will still read. And then, you know, we have to carry both girls into the stroller. We finally get them out there and we're two minutes into the walk and Emma's sats are dropping and I have to stop and suction her or put her on oxygen And then all the while you're walking out trying to enjoy a beautiful day and a dad, you know, rolls by on his bike with his little toddler sitting in front of him squealing and it just kind of breaks your heart a little bit. And it's something that, you know, you get used to and you learn to not compare and you learn to really um, see the beauty in your unique situation and in your very unique kiddos. 
but it doesn't change the fact that it stings a little bit when you see other kiddos running around when you're, you know, kind of outside of your little bubble and you know that your kiddos will never do that. And you wonder what that experience must feel like. So it's definitely, there's a lot of different frustrating aspects um, across the board. It's something we definitely have had to grow with. And, you know, it's constantly, we're working on ourselves to to be better at um, being at peace with it. It's definitely hard. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, I, I sometimes get that isolating feeling with my son's rare disease, but there are plenty of other mothers to connect with whose whose kids have what my son has. So, you know, it's one thing to be isolated no regardless because of rare disease, but then to, you know, be isolated because your kids are literally the only two that have this disease has to be a huge challenge. It's hard, but luckily I found that the rare disease community, even if we don't have the same disease, everybody's so welcoming and so kind and I've made an, tons of great friends that just are going through a journey. It may not be exactly the same, but it's similar. And it's a really great community to be a part of. Wouldn't have volunteered for it, but now that I'm here, I feel so blessed to have met so many amazing people. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, um, it, I, I can just like, I'm like almost on the verge of tears. Sorry. Um, because I know that feeling of just being like, well, where do you go? Even though this community is so open. Um, and that's honestly why rare exists because I wanted it to be a place where no matter what you had, whatever your journey was, um, almost like the land of mismatch, which is like (laughs) a funny way to think of it. Um, but you know, I hope you know that yeah, you have an entire herd behind you um, with Rare, and you know we would love to, you know, have you be a part of our um, you know group and um, you know share your story because we do believe that it's so important. And you know, you said the comparing thing, and um, one of my big things is just. Um, sometimes I feel like people want to compete Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm always like, Hey, if you want the worst, the worst of the worst, like I'll give you the worst (laughs) of the worst. Like I'm not saying, you know, uh, cancer is worse than this is worse than that. I'm saying that it all was not what Mm -hmm. we planned. And if we could just like be a little bit more patient and a little bit um, less judgmental and um, kinder to one another, I think it will go such a long way. And so I do hope, you know, that within, you know, you're only two, but you do have this community um, to fall back on. And it is, it is really uh, something. Thank you very much. You know, we would definitely love to um, make sure you're here advocating uh, with us because your voice matters. And uh, sometimes it's nice to just like what you've said, um, explain to someone what going for a walk looks like. Cause people don't know. People will even, you know, listen to this and say, okay, THAP 12 gene. But what does that look like? What does that everyday struggle look like? Um, you know, Teresa and I, uh, we try very hard to keep rare, uh, like real and raw because if we don't, how are we going to make change? You see these words, but what does it look like when all of a sudden I go from you know, 130 to 160 pounds mm-hmm. overnight. Like, what do these things that look like? Do you ever have like situations with strangers where you feel like you need to educate them or, um, on your daughter's conditions or your family? Or like, how do you go about that? Yeah, that's a great question. So 
you know, we have a lot of friends that have younger kiddos, a lot of family that have younger kiddos. And um, I remember to be, I guess, real and raw a little bit. I remember going to get my nails done with a couple friends with my daughter years ago. And she was kind of on the brink of still looking like a baby, but still should be acting a little bit like a toddler, you know, should still be holding her head up, should be engaging and making eye contact. And she wasn't doing any of those things for her age, but she was a little bit small. And so the woman doing my nails asked me, how old is your kiddo? And I flat out lied. And I told her she was months younger than she actually was so that I didn't have that judgy face of like, well, why isn't your kid doing this? And why isn't your kid doing that? And you know, that was one of my looking back, not failure moments, but I was I was so early into the journey, I wasn't ready to face it yet. And I think I've grown since then. And now I'm actually very passionate about, you know, teaching the world about inclus- inclusivity. Is that the right way you say it? I don't know. To be inclusive. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> and, um, you know, and really sharing what differences look like and especially teaching young kiddos that, differences are okay. In fact, differences are great. That's what makes the world go round, I think. And, and, you know, so we have friends come over with their kiddos now and we tell them, you know, if they're acting a little bit um, kind of funny in the way they move their body, we tell them there's a little bit of extra electricity going on. Emma has some extra electricity in her brain and that's why she looks a little bit different. Or, you know, Emma's brain doesn't really let her process what she sees very well. And that's how come she's not looking directly at you. But, you know, hold her hand and talk to her because she loves that and she might coo back at you. And that means that she's enjoying your company and, you know, stuff like that. So we really try to make it a positive experience. And kiddos, oh my gosh, young kiddos are incredible because they don't even think twice. They're immediately so excited to do these things for Emma, to hold her hand or to read her a book or whatever. And it it just blows my mind how naturally kind children are and how naturally accepting they are we sent Emma to preschool for the first time and I was petrified. I even asked the teacher, you know, what do you do to prepare kiddos for somebody like Emma? Because she looks very different and she acts very different. And, you know, she told me that they read a book about differences in in people and and stuff, but it, it didn't really prepare me for that first day. I was really nervous. And when I sent her in and then, um, you know, picked her up and they told me how it went, I was just shocked. The kids were so excited to meet her. They treated her like any other new kiddo. And, you know, they they wanted to help her exercise her legs a little bit because we told them that, you know, she doesn't have enough muscles to stand yet, but maybe someday. And they were just so kind. And I really, it's, I take so much inspiration from the little kiddos, but it, it does make me feel very passionate now about sharing openly what the girls' daily lives look like, what their disease looks like, because I think that you can raise the next generation to be very open and accepting and and we can turn, you know, special needs and disability into, you know, a commonplace thing. It's just a natural part of the human experience and we should appreciate it. Absolutely. I, I agree a hundred percent. You know, sometimes I get nervous about kids and then, like you said, they really surprise you. They they really, a lot of times they just want to learn and, and they don't see the differences that, that adults mm-hmm. see in children. And it's such a beautiful thing. I I love that you were able to send your daughter to preschool and have a good experience when picking her up and, and just hearing about her day. That's, that's amazing. Because I know as a parent, that's one of my, you know, 
biggest concerns is when Owen starts going to school and stuff like that. How is that going to be for him? You know, um, his differences are, are pretty obvious. So um, I think I think that's awesome that your experience was the way it was. I'm so thankful it was. I only hope it continues that way as, as she gets older and we send her to school with older kiddos. So we'll see. I mean, as um, I'm someone who works uh, in uh, education, I'm a clinical social worker. And I will tell you one of the things about um, kind of being in, getting sick um, later in life was that I, I did, I wanted to educate and, and start young. And so now like all my kiddos at school, they know about rare diseases. They know um, a bunch of things. Like they know February is rare Aww. disease month and it's just like about awareness and you have to start, unfortunately. And with that being said, we really wanted to touch on your nonprofit. Um, that's a, a, the amazing work you're doing. Can you share a little bit about that and what you're hoping it accomplishes? Yeah. So I was super excited to start it. We It's brand new. We started in June. Um, and really, it just was born out of necessity. Um, there you know, doctors have told us over and over, there's really nothing we can do. We were not gaining any traction with just the medical field, um, you know, to try to better understand the disease. And that's not because they didn't want to, but they're busy. There's so many people and so many different things. Um, I just realized that if we wanted to make any progress, we were going to have to do it ourselves. And unfortunately, um, with making progress comes the need for funding of that research. And that's kind of where the nonprofit came from so that we can start raising the funds to do the things we need to do to figure this all out. We called it Lightning and Love because at the time we started the foundation, we weren't even totally sure that SAP-12 was the cause of disease. So I didn't want to name it anything specific to the gene. We've since gotten yeah, we've since gotten more proof. But at the time we decided, you know, for our family, lightning struck twice. It seems that this happened to both Emma and Abby and we are trying to get through it with a whole lot of love. So lightning and love became the foundation name and was launched in June. And since then we have um, been able to kind of make a pretty decent amount of progress. It feels super slow for me because as a parent, you know, I want everything done overnight, but Yes, exactly. <laughs> According to some academics we work with, this is lightning speed, so I'll take it. But we have... Um, <laughs> no pun intended on the name. Yeah, <laughs> no connection. I'm going to use that. No, but... Um, <laughs> no, you should. So we've created a zebrafish model that is genetically engineered to um, knock out the function of the FAP12 gene to kind of represent what is happening in the girls. Um, we saw the the zebrafish actually having seizures. In fact, on my Facebook, there's a cool little video of, of a zebrafish having a seizure, which I would never know what that looked like, but it was interesting to get to see that. Wow. Um, Definitely give us the link to that. So oh, yeah. In the show sure. notes so that um, everyone yeah, has kind of cool. Check it out. Um, we sent those zebrafish to Belgium where they got little fishy EEGs to kind of measure their actual brain activity. And we did in fact see them having EEGs. Uh, I'm sorry, epilepsy. I'm sorry. Jeez epileptic events through the EEG. Um, so that was really exciting that we're getting more and more proof. Um, they're wow. going to London next month, the fish are, to get MRIs. So we have a lot of really great things going on this initial animal model to try to build more evidence that FAP12 is the cause of disease. We also have mice 
uh, mice models being developed. I, our first generation of mice were born in July. The second generation were born early in September. So they're, um, they have to kind of build a few generations before they get a stable colony that they can analyze. But we're working on that. Holy cow. This is like, that's this big science. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, this is, I know it probably doesn't feel like a bit like, oh my God, from June till now is not like mice. And I am so special that I'm over here thinking that you like drew a super <laughs> and, and like it kind of went right over my head that like that we were talking about like actual like <laughs> science. So I, for anyone out there who might be like me and missed that, you know, it's pretty amazing that you're already doing like those tests. And yeah. How that it's is. still amazing to me that um, zebrafish and humans share enough like genetic makeup that we could do something to a zebrafish and it will like prove what's happening in a human that it blows my mind. But that's so cool. Never underestimate the like perseverance of a mother when it comes to her kids. Seriously. It's so true. But also can we talk about the fact that like zebras are the symbol of um, rare disease? Like what are the chances that like zebrafish are what? Yeah, My daughters have little zebra dresses and uh, a good friend of ours, had zebra fish like actual fish stuffed animals made so i have pictures of my girl where my girl's wearing their zebra dresses holding their zebra fish animals it's 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 all yeah oh, <laughs> oh we have to see those we're obsessed with zebras over here <laughs> so. <laughs> too. so mariah i'm not sure if you know um our shop with a purpose um on our website but basically at the end of um like after people are done shopping with us they are asked to choose where they would like their 15% to go. That came out of me being feeling like um, I wanted everyone who shopped with us to have a voice. And then when Teresa came on, she was like, no, seriously. And she kind of like helped me. She's a mom. So <laughs> help me take a lot of my ideas and push them forward. And so we came up with Shop with a Purpose. And we would be honored if you would um, have lightning and love um as one of the options that, that people amazing. can choose if so <laughs> you guys so, um we would love to have you um and this way you know help in any Absolutely. way we can no, that's so, amazing i mean we're still su- super new into this and so we're on the very beginning of our fundraising efforts every little bit helps and that is just so incredibly kind of you guys i it means a lot we're we're excited. We think it's going to be perfect. We think it's it's going to be a good way to to help and a good way just to unify the rare disease community. You know, like not everybody is fighting the same battle, but we're Absolutely. all fighting. Them. So why not just try and do the best we can together? Um, so we're we're excited to do that for you. Um, I did want to ask you since starting your nonprofit, what impact have you noticed? that it has made not only on your family, but other rare disease fighters, obviously, since, you know, you guys are the only family right now with this known genetic uh, issue, um, you can't connect with, you know, families dealing with the exact same thing. But I'm sure that your nonprofit is allowing other rare disease families to be impacted. Yeah, I mean, and that is a big goal of our nonprofit. Obviously, you know, first and foremost, we want to we want to, you know, have research done on THAP-12 and, you know, ultimately find a treatment. But there's kind of an uprising right now in the genetic community where, um, you know, we're we're very rare in the sense that our gene is the, you know, we're the only two people with this gene. But there's lots of other families where, you know, they may be the only people with their gene or they may be, you know, one of 10. And it, it's really... Um, 
we're all kind of coming together, these ultra, ultra rare families and cases. And I'm hoping that our foundation can be part of that kind of revolution to try to find um, treatments for ultra, ultra rare diseases that don't really get the research and the attention that they need. And I hope that by sharing our story more publicly, which we're really just starting to do, I'm hoping that other families that are brand new to their journeys or just getting their diagnoses will reach out. And I'm, you know, I hope that we can be an inspiration of maybe where where to go to get started in doing your own research or how to handle a life with, you know, with special needs or two special needs. I've had people reach out to me like, I didn't know there was anybody else that had two daughters with a rare condition. And it just means so much to me that they reach out and want to connect. And, you know, I I think that the rare disease community is is so open and accepting and so helpful. And I hope that I can be that for other people. You know, our foundation is definitely meant to help our girls, but it's meant to help the community in general and be, um, you know, an example of a path that you can take if you want to fight your your kiddo's disease, especially if you're ultra, ultra rare like we are. Absolutely. And I mean, you see um, others are starting to stand up. Um, we're really big on the like, first you have to show up, then you have to stand up and then you have to speak up. Um, and it's not easy. I mean, you're putting your life out there, but I, I agree. Unless we start doing this, I, I'm still not a hundred percent that there's 7,000 diseases. I think that we haven't made the proper links cause we don't have the like resources, like the research mm-hmm. and the resources to connect, um, you know, these genetic mutations to, like a disease or, you know, when I got one uh, diagnosis, I got four diagnoses with it. And so it's like, okay, well, why are we categorizing these as different diseases? So um, I think there's a lot to go. Um, but the more that we share this difficult journey, and it's hard if you think about it, like you talked about going on a walk, like I, we appreciate you just being here because I'm sure it's hook. It takes, everyone kind of gets to like, for me to get to this meeting, I had to go through, you know, my medication regimen, my this, my that, all to get to this podcast. And, you know, you talked about the walk and how you, like how much goes into it. So, I mean, thank you for being here, first of all, and for taking, you know, the time and energy when <laughs> you definitely have no spoons to share your story. Yeah. It's so important. It took a lot of coffee this morning, but I'm um, so glad to be there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you definitely live with Teresa then. Yeah. So what comes next for um, your your nonprofit? Where you guys got like, what is your next goal? Yeah, so there's accomplish? so much to go, kind of like you were saying with, um, you know, research in general into rare diseases. I agree. There's so much, so much research to be done out there. There's definitely not 7,000 diseases. There's way more than that, that they're just figuring out. But for us specifically, um, you know, it, it's a little bit of a, a hurry up and wait. You know, we hurry up and establish a mouse model and a zebrafish model, and we have cell models being developed, but all of those things take time. I think it's another six months out before our uh, mice models are fully established and ready to be um, used in research. And um, same with our zebrafish, you know, they don't get their next level of testing for another few weeks and our cell models aren't available till January. So in the meantime, you know, I'm blind emailing anybody, any researcher I can find and just searching for more connections that, um, you know, people that might be interested in looking at our case and taking it a little bit deeper. And I'm, you know, sitting through reading a bunch of medical papers that I don't understand and I'm Googling every other word, but I'm hopeful that I'll figure something out that will help push the research a little bit. And, 
you know, doing all these things, trying to raise money so that we can fund these next levels of research, trying to tell our story so that we can be an active member of this community and get the support that we will need to push our research forward. Um, so there's lots of things that's go- that are going on, both on the research side of things and then just learning how to manage a nonprofit. And, you know, despite all of that, trying to get in as many snuggles as I can with the girls. I do still work a full-time job. So trying to keep that going. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's- and this is a full, like, nonprofits a full time, being a parent's a full time, you have a full time job, and then trying to, like, you know, fight the good fight is a full time job. So, yes, see, that's why I run on coffee too. I don't like coffee, so I'm like at a disadvantage. But anyway, you're missing out. Um, <laughs> so, um, Mariah, where can people find you um, on social media? Where uh, we're going to tag it in the show notes, but. You know, yeah, what's the so best I've been way to be pretty active it? on Instagram and Facebook? Um, the tag is lightning and love for both. Um, you can find our website at www.lightningandlove.org, and that also has links to our social media. Um, and you can also just reach out to me directly. Um, my email's on the website, so I'm happy to chat at any time. Also, if anyone out there wants to support Lightning and Love, you can go ahead and purchase the Greater Than THAP12 shirt that we have released um, with this episode uh, that is under Rare Cause. And all the prop, the, all of the proceeds to that will go to uh, Lightning and Love to help support awesome. Zebrafish. <laughs> we want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your, your daughter's story. Being the family that paves the way in research uh, is for other families is very difficult. Um, you know, we wish we had the answers for our kids now, and we know we won't have them until later. And myself as a mother knows how incredibly frustrating that is. So I really do admire how you're taking their disease and using it to make a difference. So thank, thank you, you guys. so much. It's been a blast. I'm so excited to have gotten to share my story and I'm excited to go shopping. I fell in love with your shop recently. So <laughs> that's awesome (laughs) wow all I can really say after sitting down and discussing Mariah and her family and her beautiful little girls is that you can be the only family in the world that is going through your struggle but if you use your voice and share it the ripple effect that you create is is endless and you won't even know who you touch just by sharing your voice and sharing your story. So for all of you listening out there that feel alone, that feel isolated because there's not many other people out there like you, there's a whole slew of people that understand. And that's really what we hope to get across with these stories and and sharing experiences. And we just hope that we continue to bridge the gap between rare disease and the rest of the world. Thanks for listening to the Because We're Strong podcast. To continue the conversation about rare disease and all the unknowns that come with it, don't forget to subscribe and catch us next week for another episode. To learn more about our stories or how to share yours, visit www.findyourrare.com. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We look forward to connecting and bridging the gap between the struggles of the rare disease community and the rest of the world.